Welcome to the X-Men Task Podcast, the Spider-Man years. My name is Willie Simpson. My name is Sonya Rappaport. And Sonya, today we jump back into the world of Spider-Man in the 44th overall episode in Season 4. An epi- uh, the season entitled Partners in Danger, the third episode of Season 4. Uh, the episode called The Black Cat. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with last week's episode called The Cat. We have upgraded in level here. Mm-hmm. Um we now have a descriptor for the so-called cat we're examining. And it's a different cat. It's a different cat. Yeah, actually, that's true. It's, it's not, it's a, they're two different characters. We have the cat. We have the black cat. Um, before we do that, let's get our plugs out of the way. Uh, I want to say you could follow me on Twitter, at Willie Simpson. Most importantly, join the X-Men Task podcast Facebook group. Uh, just search us out there. We're happy to have you as a member. And rate reviews five stars on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use and tell your friends and family. I do want to say that it might be a fun week to join the X-Men Task podcast Facebook group because there's a, a lot of discussion has just begun on the new Star Wars movie. Right. Not uh, Marvel-related, not X-Men or Spider-Man-related. Although but... all serving the same corporate master, yeah, Walt Disney. Um, we will talk about... Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, uh, after a brief chat on this episode, um, we'll, we'll give you our full thoughts. We did see the movie, uh, and um, it'll be interesting. Uh, we did talk about The Last Jedi, in a, I think, in like one of the Dark Phoenix episodes mm-hmm. a few years ago. So you can go back and listen to that conversation to get our instant reaction for that movie at the time. Again, I want to preface, even though we're not talking about Star Wars yet, that our instant reactions are always different from how a movie might sit with you years down the road. Right. Yeah. And uh, you feel like you've changed opinions on. Well, the, it just evolves. The Last Jedi. I mean, you know, you you see it in the movies. You you come home. You have an opinion. Uh, not everyone has a podcast or a video blog or something where they're put on the record of what they thought about in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I th- I just think it's interesting, more or less. I'm not complaining about it. But I, I just think it's always interesting to, to go back and hear one's initial opinions on things. Uh, so, and, uh, you know, we're, we're honest about how I like to think that our opinions are subject to change over time, too. Yeah, yeah, of but, course. But, we shall, but you shall hold us all under the gun for whatever our Star Wars opinion ends up being. <laughs> but stay tuned until uh, after the, the, the Black Cat discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, on a personal note, I want to apologize. Our voices might be a little weak this week we had a flu week yeah we both got the flu Sonia earlier in the week uh probably a little more serious than myself but I got it later in the week and we've just been both very sick throughout the week and we're just like about the point of getting over it but we're a little run down we thought about maybe taking this week off which you know could have been understandable given it's a holiday week and everything but still you know I feel like we're gonna give it a go here right yeah all right so let's jump into it all that preamble out of the way. So this is finally, it took, uh, you know, three seasons and change, but we finally get Felicia Hardy turning into the black cat, mm-hmm. which I thought it was an interesting notion uh, put forward in the Amazon trivia where they essentially said the same thing. They're like, this is the episode where Felicia finally becomes the black cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't, you know, I, I applaud the Spider-Man show for not, rushing to do it. There's no need to have the black cat established quickly for any reason whatsoever. Yeah. Felicia Hardy, as we said in the last episode, has been a very uh, interesting character in her own right without being a superhero uh, in her spare time. Mm-hmm. So it's but fine. But this adds, like, an extra dimension. Yeah. Yeah. I remember 
seeing this as a kid and being so riveted by this episode because I had the cartoons before I had the comics. So I didn't know that this was an aspect to Felicia's personality. I remember like being my eyeballs were like glued to the TV for this episode. <laughs> uh, I had some comics as a kid, obviously, and uh, you know I didn't know too much about the the black cat. I, I knew about I knew about the black cat from the comics, but I didn't know the specific uh, mythos. So the Spider-Man show filled me in on the details, but I was always confused as, as a kid because you had the black cat, you had Catwoman from Batman, which I know is obviously a different comic line. Yeah, but it was still. I didn't understand. Like, it, it why are like, ladies it, always cats? Well, yeah, it was like a double <laughs> character. I mean, there are a few characters across Marvel and DC where there's doubles, like Captain Marvel is one of them. Yeah. There's a couple of Captain Marvels for whatever reason. There's just many similar characters in Marvel and DC. The villains tend to repeat a lot, too. Uh, so the Black Cat and Catwoman seemed like one. Also, Spider-Man has another sort of very similar character, at least in appearance, Silver Sable. Mm-hmm. It, she's like this... Eastern European spy type woman. She's got white hair, and uh, I was I had some Silver Sable comics, whatever Spider-Man comics I had. So I remember just being a little confused, and I wasn't so excited about the Black Cat as a kid because, like I said, it felt the character seemed diluted and a double, hmm. and uh, I didn't quite understand uh, why she was cool. Now uh, in my adult years, having read many more Spider-Man comics. Having been able to appreciate the show in a new light, uh, I really I love the Felicia Hardy character, and I actually uh, love the Black Cat character too. Mm-hmm. So I think it's great here to fully appreciate this character uh, come to form in one media. I don't. There's been no Black Cat or Felicia Hardy even in any of the Spider-Man movies, has there? I don't think so. This is something, yeah, and this is something that's great about the Spider-Man animated series is that Felicia Hardy is. It's one of the more interesting female characters in the Spider-Man world, and uh, she gets her full due in this show. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, they're always, it's always about Mary Jane and yeah. Gwen Stacy to a lesser extent. Mm-hmm. But here, the Black Cat and Felicia Hardy get a nice spotlight. Oh, excuse me. Very difficult to speak. <laughs> so, Sonia, how does this episode open? Do you remember? Uh, so, we open up on the Black Cat uh, committing a robbery. Well... Uh, I, I hate to cut you off, because right before that, uh, Spider-Man, again, he's web-slinging. He's lamenting the loss of Felicia now. Oh. And he's still obviously hung up on I feel Mary like Jane. he's been doing that at the beginning yeah. of, like, every single uh That's why episode. I stopped you. It's, 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 <laughs> That's why I glazed over it. I'm right, like, all right, yeah. Spider-Man's swinging. He always yeah, does that. I agree, yeah. he's But he's really lamenting. He's, yeah, he's, he's in emo mode. He's losing all his girlfriends. Yeah. And um, anyway, then we cut to the black cat performing this robbery. She's cat-burgling. Yeah. She has the sharp fingernails like Catwoman. I thought she was going to use them to draw the circle. Mm -hmm. You know how Catwoman does (laughs) that? And then, like, whatever, just pushes it in Uh or something. It's that classic Looney Tunes almost animation in a way. Right, but uh, the Black Cat doesn't do that. She has a circle cutter device that she puts on the glass to do it for her. (laughs) (laughs) Bucking bucking convention, yeah. Um, Anyway. I just love the aesthetic of cat burglary. Knock on wood before someone cat burgles our house. <laughs> but in TV shows and movies, it's just always a fun premise and gimmick to me. Someone dressed up in all black, 
oftentimes suction cupping away up a building. I'm, <laughs> just I'm like probably tiptoeing and yeah. yeah. I'm thinking of the Superman movie more than anything. Oh, the original really? one from Chris Reeves. You know, oh. there's a there's a black <laughs> there's a, a cat burglar in that. I'm thinking of the Simpsons where the old man oh, yeah. from the retirement <laughs> home burgles everyone. He's a similar character. I know. Oh man, he's so much like John Hardesky. Wow, yeah. good pull. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, but I, that's what, but I'm saying, I enjoy the, the aesthetics of a cat burglar. And just that they, like, are after the jewels all yeah, the time. Yeah, those after the sparkliest of jewels. That, the diamonds, yeah. Right, that people just keep in their, their chests and their homes. So, yeah, she's cat burgling. <laughs> um, Spider-Man, his spider sense goes off, and... He... No, she has like a an anti alarm device stuck to the window. Oh. And she finishes the robbery, it's like too easy for her. Mm-hmm. And she sees Spider Man swing by on like a distant building oh, and she's yeah. like, Well, well, well and she <laughs> takes the device off so on purpose so that the alarm will ring and he'll come over. Yes. It was it was funny. Um and so then they start fighting. Uh anytime Spider Man meets somebody new, uh he immediately gets into a fight with them. Well, it's uh, not that he instigated it. Right. She she, like, saw him coming and kicked him in the head or something. <laughs> so, all right. What else is he supposed to do but fight back? That's true. And he can't... He obviously does not recognize this as Felicia. Right. Do you think... Is your disbelief suspended enough that he wouldn't recognize it's Felicia? Yes. Okay. Based on the way she can transform? Yeah. Like, okay. her body and hair look totally different. Her attitude transforms when she transforms. Yes. Her voice is kind of the same. But her, she grows muscles in her abdomen. <laughs> quite And her arms. Yeah. Every, everywhere she becomes, like, super muscular. Yeah. So, I mean, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but the nature of the black cat... cat uh, pow, bah, sorry. The nature of the black cat's powers in this series, at least, I don't remember what they are in the comics, to be honest. I'm a little foggy-headed right now, but she, she has the ability to transform into a super serum-soldiered version of herself, where her hair color changes... And she grows muscles and she gets super strong. So she's like Captain America, but can, like, transform between a normal person and But super. it seems to alter, like, her personality, too, doesn't it? That's what I thought at first as well, but I don't think it does. I think she's just... Maybe that's just, like, a little she's inconsistent, in, in, depending on what happens. Yeah, she's imbued with new confidence and a weird new perspective, perhaps influenced by her father, who she seems to adore, mm-hmm. bizarrely. It's a little bit of an inconsistent characterization, I think. I don't really know. Like I said, not the biggest black cat expert. So, you know, people at home and the Facebook group, please educate us a bit more about, like, what's the true nature of the black cat's powers. Uh, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, for the purposes of the show, she can transform into a more super-powered version of herself. Kind of reminds me of uh, that Sega Genesis video game, Altered Beast. Mm-hmm. I showed you that yeah. recently. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like you're, you're like wa- a strong man walking through the jungle. And then you find a magic floating pill and you turn into a slightly stronger man. <laughs> <laughs> Your muscles grow a bit more and you lose a bit more clothing. Uh-huh. Yeah, so she's got a little bit of that element uh, going around for her. Um, so she sort of gets the best of Spider-Man here. She she comments that she wants to test her strength against his. And that's kind of an interesting debate because she's just essentially got the powers of Captain America because uh, it's a super soldier serum. And it's always fun to see how Spider-Man stacks up. Um, and she knocks him out. She has got some green gas that knocks him out, that infamous green gas we see across all superhero media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she demasks him. And well, like we discussed... Almost. Right. Yeah, well, she stops herself. Yeah. But like we discussed, it, it's, a, it's a mask uh, demasking world. Right. 
uh, so, doggy dog world when it comes to demasking in the superhero world. If you're not the one demasking, you yourself will be demasked. Right. Yeah. So uh, she she's about to dis- demask him. Instead, she stops. She gives him a kiss, and she's like, "Well, I, I, the only way I'm going to earn this is when you demask for me willingly." Mm-hmm. So she believes in consensual demasking, but not consensual <laughs> kissing, apparently. <laughs> Some bizarre mixed messages going on here. Uh, So she kisses him, leaves him be. Uh, Cops, well, she's sort of interrupted too because the cops are busting in to the the, the top of this high rise. Um, Meanwhile, Fury is after Spider-Man. He thinks he has something to do with the missing Hardesky who has escaped the S.H.I.E.L.D. super prison and the missing super soldier formula. He he suspects Spider-Man's mixed up on all that. It could have been cool if Fury pontificated a bit more on that, if he maybe could have spared a thought saying, oh, I wonder if uh, Spider-Man's powers come from the Super Soldier Serum 2. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't really go there. But yeah. I thought there was maybe enough. Maybe he knows the origin of Spider-Man. It's possible, yeah. We don't really, we're not quite sure what Fury knows about Spider-Man or not. In the original 60s comics, Spider-Man was a total mystery. Too. He kept his identity a secret to like everybody. The Fantastic Four, the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Nobody could figure out who he was, I don't think. I, at least not right away in the initial run. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he was—he always did a good job of being secret. I, I mean, I guess he did keep it secret forever because the most famous moment came in the, the Civil War comics, which happened in the 2000s when... Um, well, no, I, I guess I'm conflating it. He, Spider-Man reveals his identity to the world because he wants to work with Tony Stark and he gets the Iron Spider suit. Mm-hmm. But I guess in those comics, Tony Stark knew who Peter Parker was before then. So, whatever. I might be messing that up. But anyway... In the real Marvel world, Spider-Man typically does a good job of keeping his identity secret, even from the most brilliant of adversaries. Mm-hmm. Fury, no exception. So, uh, meanwhile, Kingpin, who has John Hardesky as his prisoner, he's the original cat. He's the guy that, as a teenager, witnessed the Captain America super serum experiment, and because of his photographic memory, memorized the formula. He's the only one that knows what it is. Uh, like, a lot of stuff has happened, I guess, in between these two episodes. He's apparently developed the formula for Kingpin mm-hmm. and Landon, his scientist assistant, Godzilla man, and they gave it to his daughter. Right. And he's been training his daughter how to be a cat burglar. He's given his daughter all his insane tricks of, like, master thievery. Right, which must have just happened, right? Because in her flashbacks in the last episode, she didn't know that her dad was the cat. I don't even know if she knew her dad was alive. And then, exactly, she didn't see him for, like, all those years since she was a kid. It really feels like a lot was cut out of these two episodes. It, uh, you know, it, it feels like either the, the scripts were, like, really cut down or... Uh, I mean, I don't need a training montage. I can believe it. I believe it, too. But like I said, it's just it feels like there's gaps in story mm-hmm. at times. At least that was my impression. Uh, again, we I've been, uh, like, flu ensconced, so I yeah. might have just glazed over it myself. Uh, anyway, um, so the reason Felicia is working for the Kingpin now is because her father's held prisoner. It's she's sort of being blackmailed or extorted, whatever the, the right crime is there, and she wants to protect her father. Um, and then we see, like, how she can transform between a normal person and the black cat herself. Um, meanwhile, um, it does seem that, like, like you were speaking to her personality changing, mm-hmm. Felicia does seem to be weirdly enjoying this new role in her life. Yeah. Like, she has been transformed against her will, mm-hmm. and, but, you know, she seems to, to have embraced it and doesn't mind stealing so much either. She doesn't feel no, that bad does. about it. Well, That's why I say her personality changes, because, like, while she's 
doing the robbery, she yeah. seems to kind of enjoy right, it, you know. Yeah. But like as soon as she transforms back and she's talking to the kingpin, she says like how guilty she feels, how horrible she feels that she has to like commit these crimes okay. she doesn't want to. Yeah. So it's almost like she like regains her conscience, becomes like less arrogant or something. Yeah, there's definitely something to that. Uh, also, I think she's happy that she's now on equal footing with Spider-Man because they've really played up this fact that she has this uh, this crush on Spider-Man that she can't obviously make work. Yeah. And now she, maybe she feels that I, because now I'm a super powered person too that I can actually have a relationship with this guy. I mean, I could also understand her enjoying it from the point of view of like she's empowered to protect herself. She has gone through like a lot of terrible things yeah, with like true. evil supervillains and she's, you know, been the damsel in distress the whole time and yeah. now she's like strong and agile and can take care of herself. Yeah. So It does help to have a super strength in Spider-Man's New York City. It's such a dangerous yeah. city as we've discussed with constant rocket explosions every day yeah. <laughs> and laser beams going off. Uh, meanwhile, Peter is investigating the black cat with the help of Robbie Robertson, who obviously doesn't know who she is because she's a brand new character that's emerged. Um, Peter's at a loss as well. JJ uh, calls Peter into his office. He's worried about Felicia Hardy. He reveals to Peter secretly that her mother, Anastasia Hardy, has been hiding out in his penthouse. And he has obviously a soft spot for the Hardys. Peter is surprised at JJ's generosity. He in turn is learning more about that as we've discussed previously that JJ has a lot to his character as well um, meanwhile uh, Spider-Man uh, we see Anastasia Hardy on the rooftop of JJ's penthouse uh, Spider-Man sort of ambushes her she's drinking her tea mm-hmm. and she like immediately uh, reveals that she hates Spider-Man she doesn't want to get away from me I want nothing to do with you mm-hmm. but he's like listen I'm trying to help like rescue your daughter and, and I need you to help me and she gives her she uh, he gives her a Spider-Man tracking gadget. He says, "Just use this to contact me if you're ever in trouble mm-hmm. or if you ever change your mind." Right. Um, meanwhile, Herdesky is being held at Crime Central, Kingpin's uh, Chrysler Building base, um, and he's plotting his daughter's escape. Um, and uh, he basically leads her to an escape route that he has planned out. He's like, "Listen, I don't have the strength to escape, but you do." Uh, she gets out of the prison and she vows to come back to rescue him. Felicia then, uh, not as a black cat, she returns as Felicia to her mother. And that's when Anastasia Hardy gives Felicia the Spider-Man tracking device. She says, maybe you should reach out for Spider-Man's help. So uh, she does. She activates the device. Spider-Man thinks he's going to meet Anastasia, but instead he's tackled by the black cat. Again. Yeah, which is a, it's another one of these funny, like, I'm fighting you, but I'm also asking for your help fights, which we see so often in yeah. superhero media. Uh, they're wrestling around a bit, and she's sort of like, you have to trust me. He's like, I don't trust you. Uh, but as they're sort of negotiating He's an like, alliance, I don't even know who you are. Yeah. Like, she doesn't know who you are either, dude. Yeah. <laughs> as they're negotiating an alliance, they're attacked by S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. is shooting all their goo guns at them. Again, this is their best weapon against Spider-Man to sort right. of stick him to They're some... trying to catch Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, and they 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 almost do, but Black Cat uh, saves Spider-Man. Um, S.H.I.E.L.D. is chasing them with their hover bikes through an apartment building somehow. Yeah, that was weird. It was a weird scene. It was funny. Uh-huh. Uh, so just imagine opening your apartment building door in the interior and seeing a bunch of hover bikes fly down Coming the down steps. Coming down the stairwell. Yeah, so that's essentially what's happening. 
Uh, Spider-Man and Black Hat get away. Black Hat steals somebody's motorcycle, which Spider-Man notices you shouldn't steal people's things. Mm-hmm. Um, he does make her return the motorcycle later. Yeah, it was funny. Um, so they're still trying to invade uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. It's quite dangerous. There's a lot of action going on. Uh, Felicia has a few funny one-liners. Uh, Relax, I'm a New Yorker. And Spider-Man's impressed by her motorcycle ability. He's like, do you know, uh, did you learn how to ride a motorcycle from Blade? <laughs> Which is a callback to our Blade episodes. Uh, meanwhile, um, at, at the end, they get away from S.H.I.E.L.D. And Spider-Man uh, agrees to team up with Black Cat. Um, so... It's, they have this elaborate plot where Spider-Man dresses up as Hardesky, dressed up as the cat, which is like an all-black bodysuit, mm-hmm. and they break into Kingpin, break back into Kingpin's base. Uh, it's like a fake out because they think that they're capturing the black cat and Hardesky, but it's really they're capturing the black cat and Spider-Man. No, the cat. Right, the cat and Spider. Right. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the real cat uh, breaks into Kingpin's computer lair where Landon is, and he manages to delete the super soldier serum from Kingpin's hard drives, which infuriates Landon, later super infuriates Kingpin, who, you know, was going to manufacture a million Captain America-type people mm-hmm. to take over the world. Um, so I, I was I was relieved, in a way, <laughs> that they managed to, to delete that super soldier serum. I love that. It, it, it's such a corny running plot line throughout the entire Marvel Universe history is that uh, the, the first super soldier serum was a success with Captain America. No scientist has ever been able to recreate it, despite how many attempts there have been. You know, Captain America is the one and only. I'm sure there's been exceptions to that in, like, various stories here and there. But he's really the only successful one. Uh, all the other attempts at it have, like, created, like, horrible mutations or messed up experiments. Um, you know, so it, I just like that the for whatever reason the super soldier serum has never been able to be replicated, despite all the magic science that's out there. Much similar to the way that Reed Richards was never able to properly cure the thing. That was his goal too. He's the smartest man alive, and he can't turn the thing back into mm-hmm. a normal guy. Although I'm sure that was done at some point. Of the ten thousand Fantastic Four comics, I'm sure that was like figured out. But <laughs> like, who knows? In general, it's like a standard principle that's not really overridden. Yeah. So the super soldier serum falls into that category, at least in my opinion. Um, meanwhile, uh, Hardesky, uh, like I said, he manages to delete the, the serum from the hard drive. Uh, Spider-Man and the Black Cat are taken aboard Kingpin's private invisible airship. He has one similar to S.H.I.E.L.D. This is where it gets a little confusing. Uh-huh. And they're going to be killed by King- Kingpin on Kingpin's orders, but Doc, and Doctor Octopus is going to be the executioner. He arrives right. like mysteriously. Kingpin's like, I already have the formula. I don't need you anymore. You're just like collateral damage and plans to execute them. Yeah, so he throws Black Cat out the window. Essentially, uh-huh. uh, seems like a stupid way to kill her. You could have just crushed her to death as he was try- doing it first. <laughs> uh, but she saves herself, hanging on to the edge. They don't notice Spider-Man and uh, Black Cat manage to overtake all the guards on the on the uh, the airship. Uh, they also kick Doc Ock out, out the airship as well. He's got a parachute, but he's pissed that he failed. Um, they also managed to bring down the stealth ship, too. It's crashing to the harbor. Uh, and, and also, S.H.I.E.L.D. arrives, too. They're blowing up the airship as well. So similar to the last episode, there's a lot of laser beams flying across the sky. Um, so as the Kingpin ship goes down, Kingpin is quite annoyed. Annoyed. Uh, Black Cat and Spider-Man have a few words, though, before they part 
um, where essentially, I think like she was going to tell him a secret because she she mentioned earlier like, I have a secret to tell you, mm-hmm. and and Spider-Man's like, okay, I'm ready for your secret, and she's like, <laughs> oh, maybe another time, kicks him into the harbor. She's like, see you around. Yeah, so she's not ready to to give any secrets left. Uh, Felicia goes home. The Hardy family is briefly reunited. Uh, so, and but John Hardesky says to his his wife and his daughter that actually because of what I know, it's so dangerous. I have to go away. I have to go into hiding again. And Spider Man's going to help me do that. Yeah. So, uh, so that's what happens. Essentially, what that boils down to is Hardesky surrenders himself back to Shield. Right. They summon Shield and they come for him. And somehow, uh, Nick Fury knows that Spider Man helped him get the the cat back right. on so, base so right. like they end on a positive note well fury's fury's opinion of spider-man is is enhanced right yeah yeah and um and then meanwhile spider-man in the, the closing moments ponders if he has a future with black cat and i wonder who she is and he, won- and he wonders who she is too <laughs> so it was, again it was a good two-part episode i'm happy to, i think the black cat's going to come into play much more the season uh-huh. so her origin i think will be less interesting than what we get from her going forward hopefully i don't fully remember but it'll be fun to discover um all right so it, it was a good episode uh and without further ado, let's switch gears to Star Wars Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Now, Sonia, I have immersed myself in so much Star Wars in the past month leading <laughs> up to this movie. <laughs> I know. Not even because I'm excited about, I was excited about this movie. It just seems to be this ritual thing of me that when a new movie's coming out, I, I just, I don't know, I just, I'm... Like, Star Wars is on my brain, and I kind of want to revisit the movies. Uh-huh. I, I've been playing that new Star Wars video game, which I finished this week, right. Fallen Order, which is pretty cool. Kind of ended abruptly, but that's another story. Um, I, I, I've been... We've been watching The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. which we've enjoyed. And I've, like, I've gotten a full... It's interesting now that there's been so many movies that you can get a full, fur, thorough taste of the prequels, the original... And the sequels and the anthology films. Right. And this movie is the sort of the capper to all of them. Although, obviously, there's going to be more Star Wars movies in the future, so... What are they going to... Do you know what they're going to be? Is it anthology films, like, all, all the rest of the way? I don't know. I think they had plans with... They hired... Ryan Johnson was supposed to do another separate tri- trilogy, but huh. that might not happen now. They hired the Game of Thrones guys to make a trilogy. I think they quit or they got fired. Hmm. So I don't know what they're... I think the last I heard is that they're going to take a break from at least the main Star Wars movies for a while. Maybe they'll dive into Disney Plus with more TV shows. I mean, they're definitely doing Mm Obi-Wan and they're doing um, some other one I can't remember. But it's going to be the Mandalorian season two is happening. Yeah. So it's probably just going to be... I don't know what the future holds for the movies. Hmm. But I think Disney needs to take a breather from the movies because they've learned a lot here in the, since 2015 when they've started pumping them out. Yeah. Uh, that said, so we saw the movie. Um, I, I did... I kind of poisoned my brain a little this weekend. And, and, and <laughs> you really binged on the review. I binged YouTube. on... Yeah, <laughs> the YouTube videos, like, from people who hate Star Wars and love Star Wars, or, like, they hate the new sequels and they love the trilogy. I mean, I mean they love the I prequels. I can't stand listening to all those people's opinions. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> like, and I... But I, I don't know. I was just, like, into it. And, like, I, I listened to podcasts on it. And, I know. And yet, here we are 
giving our yeah. opinions. But I, I do. I think it's an interesting point to bring up of just just being a, a fan, uh, like we are, and see like it, seeing how what new media is, and especially combined with social media, right? How it can be hard when you're bombarded with all this content to differentiate your own opinion from the internet mob of voices. I I think there's a tipping point. It's like like for instance um like one of the big consensus I think points about this movie versus the last Jedi, yeah. right? Was that like a lot of people hated the last Jedi right. and loved this one and vice versa and it's like different <laughs> groups of people have different feelings whether yeah. they're like diehard Star Wars fans or like new movie yeah. bloggers or whatever. Uh, like that's information that I didn't go into the movie having. Yeah, you're way more like you were less. You you specifically were way less attuned to that. I I disattuned outrage. myself to it on purpose right. because it drives but, me insane. But you saw the Last Jedi. You didn't think about it much after. <laughs> no. And then I explained to you today, like, oh, people like hated that movie or was so divisive. You're like, oh, really? I yeah. had no idea. Like, you didn't even know there was this whole culture war <laughs> right, that was being exactly. waged over this fucking movie. So it's like, is it interesting to think about that? Like mark on culture that it's made in hindsight like yeah that, right. that's interesting I think to the extent that's where I'm interested like anthropological uh, how do you pronounce anthropologically it? yeah anthropologically I was interested in that aspect it was just this but like this craziness this one is so new that it hasn't it, it hasn't settled yet and know? I think it's there's split. no such thing as an anthropological viewpoint on it because it just came out well it's so emerging it's like all for things for me I, I'm gonna like ignore most of the videos and stuff about it that's probably for the mental until health until the next sake. one comes out and yeah. then I'll be like oh th- that one was divisive really <laughs> well I'll give you the, the general uh, groundwork of the, the social media sphere okay. critics did not like this one from the cr- critical reviews I read they all a consensus comment seemed to be it's like we as critics love The Last Jedi but audience hated it and here you go you crying babies here's uh, they, they the filmmakers gave in to you and for everyone that hated The Last Jedi, this is the movie for you. I didn't like it, but maybe the audiences will. Okay. Like, I, I, I saw that as a major opinion. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, like, I don't know. Like, who cares? But, like, the point is, like... Right, the point is, who cares? Like... <laughs> I did read... I read I read one funny internet comment from a friend I have online. Uh-huh. Uh, well, not really a friend, an acquaintance I have online. He just made... You know, when people were so outraged by The Last Jedi that there's this GoFundMe campaign started like let's raise like 300 million dollars to refilm the last jedi because oh they hated it so they want to erase from the canon mm-hmm. and uh my friend or whatever my friend oh let's call him a friend he said uh he says this movie felt like the gofundme campaign that people wanted oh, yeah. <laughs> he says this is like what it would have amounted to and i thought that was actually kind of clever because i got a lot of that vibe myself too interesting now all right but that's all the like fluff and the hype. That's all the hype and all the, the clouds around, like, this actual film. So, let's talk about the movie. Like, what do you think? Like, is, is that, like, a fair place to start? Have <laughs> <laughs> we, we become so Byzantine? Um, for me, like, one of the brightest points of this movie and The Last Jedi, I mean, of this trilogy, is the cast. I think the cast is really good. I think uh, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, and... Um, Isaac, what's his name? Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. I think, like, they make, like, a very, like, 
entertaining, strong, lovable team. Right. You know what I mean? Okay. Like I can watch them on screen and be happy to do that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Daisy Ridley in particular, like she's um, the character she plays is so like scrappy and capable and earnest and just like ready. You know what I mean? Right. Like. I really enjoy that in in this characterization. Like that's really enjoyable to watch. So one of the I'll, okay, so I'll just throw the shitty internet commentary yeah, at you just uh-huh. to get your reactions. Uh-huh. So one of the complaints about her character is that she's too powerful, that she's never challenged. Uh-huh. That oh, she in this in this movie particularly. Because you think she has so too? All her okay. Force power is that the thing? Well, or? overall, three films they didn't like it. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, do you, do, is that something you ever cared about or picked up upon in watching? I don't mind. Okay. <laughs> Personally. Yeah. I think, like, she has a lot of struggles with Adam Driver. Yeah. Sorry, I should be using their character names, right? It doesn't right? matter. But anyway, um, you know, it's not, like, always sure that she's won against him. Right. And especially because there's this, like, emotional dynamic between them. And <laughs> Someone made a comment saying that, like, oh, I get, we'll get to see Ray beat him for the third movie in a row. Yeah. Which okay. is kind of funny. Yeah. It's not exactly accurate, but still, it's... Right. Yeah. And also because, like, you see her in the first movie, like, really overcoming hardship. So it's not like everything's always come so easy for her. She, you know? Mm-hmm. She's not some, like, fairy princess. Like, so she worked hard. I, I, I'm, I'm in your camp in the sense that I'm more taken away with Daisy Ridley's performance than I care about the particulars of her character quirks and whether or not she's too powerful mm-hmm. or anything. I just, I happen to enjoy her running around the screen, uh, interacting with all the characters and, and being an exciting action character. Yeah. More than I'm concerned about how she compares to Luke Skywalker and her development as a Jedi. Yeah, yeah, I don't care about I'd that. Never, <laughs> it, that never really connected with me as something to be all up in arms about. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because in across all three trilogies, the 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 way characters use the Force is now officially wildly inconsistent and wildly like insane. Mm-hmm. I think it's like they're the all lightning bolts. And... Well, not just the lightning bolts, but just the progression people have of becoming going from trainee to Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just like different in each trilogy, and it, to me, it's just, it just doesn't matter. It's just like a bunch of. It's like, it's not like, if it was ever set in stone, it was broken by George Lucas twice and then the new new creators too. Like, they just keep changing their minds about all this stuff to the point where it's not like, I, I invested so much meaning in it that there's a hard set of rules that uh, I was offended that they broke. Yeah. So that's why I never cared about Ray being overpowered. I, yeah. I just enjoyed the actor's performance. I thought she was, she was cool. And I, I also thought, like, the novelty of having... A female Jedi being the star of the movie was satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And along with that, like, trio of characters there, I should also say, I think Adam Driver does a really good job as the villain. You yeah. Know? I, I also, like, he has screen presence and, like, you want to watch what's going on when he's on screen. Yeah. Um, so I, I, he's got that movie star hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got such an unconventional face for a, for a, for an actor, but his hair is extre- does a lot of... Uh, heavy lifting as far as his movie star charisma goes. Do you think so? Yeah, I mean, having just watched this and then we saw Marriage Story on Netflix, I was like, wow, this guy's hair <laughs> really hair. doesn't... Um, I mean, all that said, I, there were, like, some some things in the plot that I thought were kind of, like, silly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I thought this was a very silly movie. Yeah. And, and so, and before... 
you jump all over me. I like the movie. But I also like Dark Phoenix the first time I saw it coming right. out of the movie. And I've actually... We grown- like pretty much everything when we come out of the theater having just seen it. <sighs> yeah. But then but then I tried rewatching but Dark like, Phoenix and I hated me, it's it. It's like, what's the point of, of go- keeping, like, continuing to go see these movies if, you, if you're going to hate them? You know what I mean? Like, you find the things that you like about it and you're entertained. And that's what makes you a fan. You're like... Yeah. I don't know. I understand, like, people have, like, a, a bar, you know, that they, they don't want to lower their standards for what the content should be and stuff like that. But, like, also, I, well, I that's think a it's, tricky, like... That's the thing, something I definitely want to debate with you. Okay. Because I think this was a fine Star Wars movie in the grand scheme of a million movies. Mm-hmm. It doesn't live up to the original trilogy at all, in my opinion. No, definitely not. I still find it better than the prequels. Yes, but it's not like it's any good movie, though. I don't think this is a good movie. Do you think? Um, I think this... it's like it's like sort of like a stupid like like spectacle action movie with like set in the Star Wars universe, and it's got a whole bunch of campy plot points. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is stupid, and I'm this is fun and stupid. Right. And like I, you know, I I'm a sucker for a lot of fan service stuff, so I can like in the moment I could sit there and be like, this is this is entertaining me. Right. Uh, now. My biggest critique in the future with all Star Wars movies is how rewatchable is it? Mm-hmm. And if a st- to me, that's that's what makes Star Wars unique. The original trilogy is that I could watch it a million times yeah. and find something new to like about it or just flat out enjoy it. I Like I said, when I was trying to like rewatch all these Star Wars movies again, it's hard for me to rewatch the prequels, yeah, especially. especially. But the sequels, too, they're kind of boring Like in rewatch, even though I might have enjoyed them at the first time. And I think this is this movie eventually will fall into that camp. Yeah, I'm it's like, like gonna the novelty s- of the action and the right. characters and the plot points is like fun, but but where's it's not sustaining. But for me, it's like the original trilogy's power is never going to fade over me. So I yeah. could fire up a new hope and just be drawn into that world of Tatooine again and, and the cantina and Han Solo and going to the Death Star and just the to me it's like I just I never get tired of it. And yeah. Empire Strikes Back. I never get tired of that adventure. Right. And it's just the the creates all that feeling of wonder in me. Yeah. And Return of the Jedi to a lesser extent has faded on me over the years, but I love that for years. I mean I was gonna say maybe some of it is nostalgia because you grew up with it, so yeah. you wanna go back to it and this is like you're an adult already and you've seen thousands of movies right. and it's not as important to you. But I think also there's something to it that this was I mean I think it's a classic for all of George Lucas's yeah. faults. It's like this was his, his like special project, you yeah. know, like he really poured all his artistry. It's like into to me it. honestly, it, it's like the godfather to me. And not comp- in the sense that I could always rewatch The Godfather. But also that it was, like, really original. Like, yeah. yes, it's pulled from westerns and fantasy and stuff yeah. like that, but it, it's really, it's an original thing. Yeah. And that's the thing about all the fan service and whatever and all the subsequent movies is that, like, there isn't much that's, like, really, truly original in them. They're all trying to, like... He set such a high bar yeah. that you just can't... It's hard for anyone, including himself, to jump over it again. Right. That's what was so insane about those about the original trilogy was that it was unprecedented in the world of science fiction for sure and the world of comic book fantasy, definitely. There's just nothing like... Even when we were kids in the 90s, there weren't... Like, Star Wars reigned supreme because there weren't movies in the subsequent years that really... We're as good as Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there are definitely some sci-fi movies I think were similar to it, but I, there are more for adults, like the Aliens. 
Mm. You know, that's like not so much for kids. No. Maybe, you know, some kids are a little cooler than others. But <laughs> I it, wasn't a cool kid James, like that. James, I was scared. Right. James Cameron's <laughs> Aliens, I think, like, is almost like as good as Star Wars. Maybe like one of the Terminators. Uh-huh. But those are not kid movies. Star Wars was like, it, it was that before Marvel, anything. It was like that sweet spot. I think Star Wars came out before Superman. The Christopher Reeve Superman movie, mm-hmm. so it was it like predated the comic book movies in that sense too. Right. So it was like it was totally one of a kind. And like I said, in when I discovered Star Wars in the early '90s, like a lot of people in our specific generation did on the VHS tapes, mm-hmm. and it it was just like it was superior elite entertainment of a very specific type that just was not replicated anywhere else. And I think part of the problem with with the movies going forward is exactly what we were talking about before, is, like, the social media influence and the fan service and, like, having to make money domestically and in China. And, like, there's too much worry about what the product is going to be. And, like, you know, if you're going to make art, you got to make art and not make a product you know, you my, know what I mean you know what my, I, I'm just gonna just jump all over the place and mm-hmm. feel free to just randomly say stuff yep. one of my biggest problems with this movie and it, it's not uh, limited to Star Wars you could say it obviously about a lot of the Marvel movies too mm-hmm. uh, the perfunctory action sequences mm. the action is so over the top and so dazzling it's cool to behold in the moment but <laughs> it's not it doesn't have the same impact as a better movie for instance, the original Star Wars, mm-hmm. which I just rewatched today again, uh, and I got again I got a sense of why that movie is better than any new Star Wars movie, including the prequels. There's when you rewatch the original Star Wars, there's a weight to those ships as they're flying around, strafing each other and dogfighting. I mean, a lot of it again has to do with pacing. I think. Yeah. Like the, when you even like the opening scene of Star Wars, the original Star yeah. Wars, like. It's interesting that those ships move slowly they across move the so camera. They move so slowly, and you just sit with them. And yeah. You, and, like, second by second, you're like, oh, my God, that thing is big. And the wonder, and that's it. That's, yeah. that's the, like, your brain has time to think about that the scene because when, the action doesn't start right, right when, away. When Han and Luke are fighting off the four TIE fighters as they escape the Death Star, it's like the, the wimpiest fight. Uh, in comparison to the new movie where they're fighting off a million fucking TIE fighters and yeah. explosions and, like, uh, force jump, not force jump, a uh, hyperspace... Uh, what do they call it? Uh, clipping or whatever. Mm-hmm. Hyperspace skips, which is kind of cool. But this is like a slow-moving scene where they're... It's just still better. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just more interesting. Less is more sometimes. Because, yeah. yeah, because it's... If it's there's, a, there's a greater realism to it being slowed down mm-hmm. in a way. When everything is sped up and by like the seat of your pants and like the explosion just misses the, the good guys kind of thing, it just... It adds... it. It's too much unbelievability that just washes over your brain at a certain point and it's no longer interesting Mm -hmm. so and i've heard people complain it's like oh well in the original star wars uh look at the lightsaber fight between darth vader and obi-wan it's so stupid Mm -hmm. you know like that's you know it's like people hold up the original star wars but there's dumb moments like that it's like no like that that too is interesting i i I don't know i can't fully articulate why but like alec guinness's performance fighting against like a, a lumbering robot dude it, they don't have to be flipping around each other for it to be captivating and interesting to the story mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's just it adds like it's got its own like flavor of of mysticism to it that mm-hmm. it, it's when you speed things up when you put more razzle dazzle in stuff it, it you, you lose that right and so I mean that's a lot of that's just like the times change and people's uh, 
their viewing tastes change and mm-hmm. you kind of like Your attention the span. instinct is to push the the lever all the way up to 11 yeah but i mean there's something to be there's still something to be learned because i still objectively think and it's obviously subjective yeah. opinion <laughs> but i still objectively think that the original star wars movies are better than <laughs> the new ones subjectively think because it's just more interesting to to sit with scenes at a, at a slower more digestible pace mm-hmm. than it is to just be blown away by like incomprehensible cgi which looks good in the moment but in the end is like not like that memorable <laughs> like who can remember it all i don't know i mean maybe we just explained all the reasons that we're like we're just too old for this that, kind of movie that's true too <laughs> yeah i want to be and that's the other thing they're all made for different generations like i for years i struggled with people slightly younger than myself people that are now in their 20s i'm guessing because i'm we're in our 30s that hold this torch for the prequels and i just don't understand i'm like the prequels are so bad they're just awful to rewatch. they were awful when they came i was 13 when they came out so i should have been the ideal audience member of but me and my whole generation hated them yeah we're like this sucks like what the fuck like we like the originals more mm-hmm. but people younger than us that were seven or eight when they saw them not 13 or 15 they're, they love them, and yeah. they grew up with them, and they have a soft spot for them. And it took me a long time to realize, like, that, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there is enough originality to them in a sense where it's... I, I could see how they could get some value out of them. The story is fairly con- fairly clear enough for them to get a morality tale out of it that they can grip onto and, like, hang something onto. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's not about, like, bashing anyone's taste. And so for... Because I, I, I find a lot of people, too that are you know they're upset at the, the people that like the sequels mm-hmm. and i think i think they they're, they're gonna have to grow up one day too and realize that maybe they, they weren't the audience they were made for as yeah. well so it's just it's this weird thing that like you you notice that disney is trying to balance this whole audience of star wars because mm-hmm. i think the mandalorian is clearly made for our generation yeah uh and older that 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 prefer the original trilogy they love the aesthetics of it they love the slow pace of it they love the the weird like uh, little diversions yeah stuff. the diversions and just the, the the quiet moments of it yeah but not everyone likes that you know uh people there's a whole generation that looks at the more cgi clone wars cartoon mm-hmm. element of star wars and that's what they're waiting for they're like why are we like you know like going into that like what's with this old star wars stuff and so it's just and the you know rogue one was like i feel made for the adults and I think that was kind of a failure in a different level. Again, another movie I enjoyed when I saw it yeah, the first time, yeah. but like to me, it doesn't, doesn't hold, hold up, up on rewatch. Um, so, you know, this movie. All right, let's just like talk about like the movie a little bit more specifically, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Um, again, like I, it's not. It's not to me. This is not on the level of the original trilogies, which I put in masterpiece class territory. This is, like, in the same level as the sequels and the prequels, and they're campy. And mm-hmm. they're just, like, diversionarily, um, like, uh, fun in a way, but... I mean, there's a they're few not parts ultimately to it satisfying. that just made me, like, kind of cringe, you know? Yeah. Like, they introduced that new robot that has the loudspeaker. I'm like, great, they can sell some more robot toys. Stupid. <laughs> well, that's, you know, some things are more successful than others. Baby Yoda is a big hit for them in the merchandising world. Yeah. Um, the scene, I was glad there was no, like casino bar equivalent scene <laughs> other than maybe like that party that they happen upon yeah that was sort in of the a, desert right. that was kind of the stand-in for that that was like i don't know that was a little more in line with like the prequels i thought the vibe of that scene i, I, I like that scene i but, enjoyed it 
but it was amounted to nothing. Amounted to nothing. Basically. Did the, tell me this, uh, Sonia or fans at home? Did the the planet that the uh, the Sith blow up with the Star Destroyer cannon was that the dancing party planet, or is that some other random planet? Did you figure out what planet they blew up? Because I felt because should we feel sad for all those people that were celebrating their ancestor day? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, that, I thought this movie is very like edited very strangely. I, I remember them saying like the first planet we blow up, just pick one that they that they recognize and they'll come, right? So maybe mm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. Right. A, a part of this movie was lost on me. I feel I feel like it was definitely there was hatcheted. definitely like parts of the movie where they were going back and forth between like locations way too fast, way too fast. It felt like a soap opera, you know, where yeah. it's like you get like two minutes of like Kylo Ren staring into the distance of the ocean and then you're like on some other planet to and the then point, you're like <laughs> to the point where they have those force powers where the characters can just communicate between different scenes even that like doesn't I mean, that was kind of cool in particular. Yeah, yeah. like that's pretty yeah that's a new force power but cool that's fine I'm actually like whatever that's innovative sort of you yeah, know but yeah. I don't know the quick cuts were like kind of confusing at a certain point also I know there's like a lot of discussion about this one but um, the kiss between Ray oh, and yeah. Kylo Ren yeah. at the end. Well, now Ben Solo redeemed. Fine, but like, didn't they set up kind of like they were brother and sister? Like, wasn't there something sort of incestuous no, no. about that? I mean, yeah, because Star Wars is kind of incestuous, but you know? no, they're not brother and sister. They're... I know they're not brother and sister, but that's like, I feel like that's kind of the way that it was. That's the way up, you subconsciously like, read the movies. Yeah, because like Luke and Leia become like surrogate parents to oh, yeah. to Ray, and right. they're his actual parents. So yeah, there's definitely not, I'm not. That's why I'm not disagreeing with you because there's an element subtextually to to that. Yeah. Um, but no, they're you know they're. Clearly, I know they're not yeah. actually siblings. It just yeah. like seemed. Weird. You didn't like it. Yeah. It it was weird. Well, the fact that they kept aborting the the Finn's romance for. Ray, yeah, that was kind of bizarre. Over all three films, I thought so too. I was like, okay, there's going to be a payoff me, at some just, point, right? It just right? smacked of, the, of Disney being afraid to have an interracial couple in Star Wars. You think so? That's what it felt like to me. They came close to kissing several times, but didn't. And in this I, movie, he like keeps almost telling her that he loves her, but then doesn't. Yeah. And you're like, okay, they're like building it up for some big payoff at the end, where finally he's like, by the way, I love you, and you know, right? Then they live. And he doesn't say what the no, payoff is. It doesn't happen. No. Yeah. So, uh, and she kisses Kylo, the genocidal maniac, <laughs> or genocidal co-conspirator at the least. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I, I thought the movie was wacky, and I, I, can't, I like schlocky, wacky things that I, I gr- I've grown to appreciate that, uh, having my opinion being influenced by Red Letter Media, those guys, <laughs> where it's like you can appreciate a nice piece of schlock sometimes. Uh-huh. And uh, so this was like schlock in spades. Uh, I like that they brought the Emperor back in. I just thought it was, like, stupid. Like, they had nowhere to go at the end of The Last Jedi. That movie just kind of ends and, it's like, co- comes to a screeching halt the whole series somehow in Episode Eight. Yeah. And so, you know, this is the common thing online is that, like, they had to put, like, cram a whole other movie in the first 40 minutes to finish the trilogy off yeah. in the last hour and a half. Right. So they do that by bringing the Emperor back, and he turns out to be Rey's grandparent, which makes no sense and no. it's kind of ridiculous, but, like, who cares? It's fine. Um, I, uh, you know, it's like to me, it, it's less about her being the specific granddaughter of the emperor, which on its face I find kind of galling. It's more about her character arc of 
of just being okay being herself and forging her own path and destiny. And that's why I like the ending. The ending got to me, mm-hmm. where she's on Tatooine at, at the ruined Lars uh, homestead, and mm-hmm. she buries Luke and Leia's lightsabers, and she activates her own golden lightsaber, which I thought was cool. I don't know why. I like why. that golden lightsaber. Yeah, yeah I, like I, it too. I don't know inexplicably why I think it's cool. It's again, it's kind of more pandering, but it's it is, it's but neat. it's like you know, it's, it's a rare ha- color right. we haven't really seen it yeah. before. Yeah, she gets her own color. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. And she's going to be a Jedi Master, and I like that. I mean, she's you know she's her own character, yeah. and it's it's neat, and um, and so I, like I said, to me there's a lot to like about the movie. I mean, I I I liked um, I did like despite me like complaining about it being overstuffed visually, I, I did like some of those scenes of all those star destroyers hanging in the sky, mm-hmm. and all the, the millions of ships coming in led by Lando. I thought it was you know I, I it was visually arresting at times, mm-hmm. but. You know, I was visually arrested at Avengers Endgame, but then upon rewatch, it's like just dumb, yeah. kind of, to rewatch it and just see all the characters flitter past each other in a CGI cloud. Yeah. So it's cool in the moment, but like, who knows how it holds up in the end? Um, oh, I did like Billy D. Williams as Lando. Yeah. yeah. I, he's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny that he's the, like basically the only original character to survive all these movies in the end. I thought that was just kind of bizarre to me. Right. And Chewbacca lives, yeah. Oh, the Chewbacca fake out, I thought, was just weak filmmaking. How they th- uh, make you think that Ray killed Chewbacca. Uh-huh. And in the moment, like, there's no way that he's dead. That is just such bullshit. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't kill Chewbacca without showing it. They, you, they wouldn't kill Chewbacca off screen like that. Right. And, of course, he was alive two minutes later. And uh, so Chewbacca looks weird in the... Like, did they CGI the mask? I don't know, did they? And they must he have. He looks, like, more shiny or something. Uh, there's just, you know, if you watch the original <laughs> movies, you could clearly almost see the eye holes uh-huh. where the human eyes are underneath the mask. And here it's like, I noticed specifically that... They, like, glue the mask onto his face. I think it's CGI. They CGI, they must CGI the details oh. around the, the... So that it's, like, a consistent so it's more seamless. creature, right? Yeah. I don't know. It did. Chewbacca didn't look right to me. <laughs> uh, C-3PO, I thought, finally got... Some do in these movies. He's been totally pushed to the side. That whole scene also was silly about yeah, like that was dumb. we're gonna you know build up. We have to wipe his memory, and then it's like not a big deal at all. Yeah, that was stupid. But I was just happy to see more C three PO. I kind of enjoy his presence. Uh-huh. He's unfairly shit upon in general. Yeah, I don't know why. He's you know if you watch the original movies, and I hate to keep going back to that. <laughs> but if you watch the original movies, C three PO is like he's he's supposed to be annoying and yeah. he's funny. But he's a friend. Yeah, and he's 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 that annoying friend you have. Yeah, yeah. he's he's a clever <laughs> character. He really he adds a lot of dramatic tension to in a lot of the scenes in the original films. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, any other like things that stuck out to you about this one? It was just like I said, it was slapdash, but I I, I was mostly entertained. I think it was anything. It was, it was felt like a direct sequel to the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. It's like the Force Awakens did a good job of setting up all these mysteries, and then this movie answered them all like immediately. <laughs> after you had a like, there was a movie in between, and they're like, oh, let's not worry about that movie. And then this movie's like, oh, here's all the answers you had to Force Awakens back from 2015, right? Four years later, so that was a little weird. That was like the kind of like like overstuffed feeling I got from this film as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, I mean, I don't know. Six out of ten for me. Maybe seven. Seven in the moment, six in the future. Who knows? It's fine. <laughs> I'd say, like, six in the moment, five in the future, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
the future of Star Wars, I hope that they, you know, I think John Favreau, that's his name, right? Mm-hmm. He's on the right track with The Mandalorian, uh, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. I think they need to look to a guy like him for finding that aesthetic sweet spot of what's appealing about the original series. But then again, like, the people who prefer the original series might not be relevant in, in the way that they approach these things creatively in the future. Who knows? Mm-hmm. It's weird that they're giving Kevin Feige a crack at it, which I wonder, like, that might already be a bad choice because this movie felt very much like a Marvel movie. Yeah. And we've all talked about how while we've been enjoying the Marvel movies, they're starting to really run out of gas and that they're really, they, they themselves are shallow exercises as well. And that, you know, if that's Kevin Feige's only trick, then just him, like, Marvel-fying a Star Wars movie might not be that interesting. I think you need, definitely need more of an auteur to, to have a crack at him. And I think Disney tried that with Ryan Johnson to mixed results. It really pissed off a lot of people. So they just need to find a, a more successful auteur, a more universal auteur in the end, mm. to, to, to carry on this, this weird cinematic tradition now that I don't think... Uh, Society's going to be able to get away from for quite some time. Give it to Taika Waititi. Well, he was in the John Favreau show, yeah. so yeah, he, he'd be a he, yeah he, he'd be a good one. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, but that's all I have for now. Interesting film to see. Uh, interesting discussion to have. I think mm-hmm. um, we'll be back again. Uh, happy holidays, everybody. Oh, yeah, right? happy holidays. Yeah, ha- Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Kwanzaa, whatever you're celebrating or not celebrating this week. I hope you have a good one. And um, will we be back before the new year as well? Is this the last podcast before 2020? Maybe we have one more. Unclear as, as to the specific release dates, but that doesn't matter. Uh, all I have to say is good night, everybody. Good night.